on uh, serving with passion. And I said, absolutely, I would love to do that. And one of the reasons why I felt so encouraged to do that is because I've always been told, you know, you're such a passionate person. Sometimes it works against me, sometimes it works for me. It's, it can be very dangerous at times to be a very passionate person. Because I think about passion, I think about Peter, right? Peter was so passionate, but Peter always in his passion stuck his foot in his mouth. So has this guy. Many times. And it just comes with, the curse comes with the blessing. <laughs> and uh, I said, absolutely, I would love to talk about passion because if you know me, um, a lot about me is passionate. Um, you hear me when I preach on Sundays. It's, it's hard because um, it's really who I am. Like, I'm just passionate like that. And it's not like, okay, take a deep breath and I'm going to fake it for 45 minutes to you guys on a Sunday morning. It's actually a, kind of like that a lot of times. If you've ever watched the Heat game, a Dolphin game, I know lately we haven't gotten too passionate about Dolphins, but whatever it is that we're doing, I'm passionate just about it. If you've heard me preach lately, been here and you've been hearing me, I'm passionate about my family. You hear me talk a lot about them. I'm passionate about my son. I hear, I talk. So you'll see a lot of passion just kind of uh, pour out of me. It's part of who I am. So I said, absolutely, I would love to do this. And some of us heard this study in a sense already. And for the rest of you guys, you're going to hear it again. Um, you're going to hear it for the first time. Those will hear it again. Uh, I just believe that every time you share God's words, God always shows you something and it always comes out somewhat different. So I believe God's going to speak to your heart today. Um, I know there's some other churches of ours that says we want you to come and share the same message at our church. So I know God has really spoken to the hearts of his people through this word. And I pray that he speaks to your heart, especially how he's spoken to my heart through it. I wrote this description down. If I were to put a couple, I don't know, maybe two sentence or three sentence description of what this would be, I shared this with the group and I want to share it with you. And I wrote this. It's easy to serve the Lord when your passion for him is at its strongest. The problem for some is that passion only lasts for a moment. Today we will discuss how to persevere in serving with passion and how to serve with passion at our strongest and at our, our weakest moments. Amen? So that's what I wrote down, and, and, and that's kind of what I want to dissect with you guys, and I think you will be blessed when we jump into that. What is passion? What does that word mean to you? Think about that for a moment. Passion, write that word down. The word passion means this, it's, and, and I'm going to grab it from the dictionary, and it's this, any powerful or compelling, any powerful, compelling emotion or feeling. You could write that. Any powerful, compelling emotion or feeling. Passion. Passion is a very interesting word. Think about passion. Think about how you use that word, passion. It could be very interesting. You could either be passionately passionate, uh, Good or bad, think about this. You can either passionately love someone or you could passionately hate someone. Ain't that true? Um, very, I've seen people say all the time, my God, I hate that person. And that's something that I hate. That, I hate that word. And um, if you know me closely, if someone ever says, I hate you, I would say, don't say hate, man. That's a, like hate is very strong. Passion. You can either hate someone or passionately love someone. Off the bat, we see that passion is not always positive. Off the bat, we see that. We could either serve with passionate love 
serve with passionate hatred, passionate greed. Passion, you, you get the point. I, I think about what's happening all over in the world, especially with this ridiculous group called ISIS. They are passionately doing things, passionately killing people, passionately beheading them, passionately burning them alive. I saw the other day they grabbed 45. Some of those 45 were kids, four years old, some age of my son, crucifying them, burning them. Something about that makes me want to join the army, amen, after my age. But whatever, let's not get into that. But they're passionately filled with hatred. They're passionately filled with something that I wouldn't say is good, and they do it all in the name of their God. Like, how does that make sense? But we see passion there, don't we? In such a horrific act, we see passion. You're either passionate, passion in holiness, and you could even be passion in your evil, like they are. But what I want us to do today is I want us to examine ourselves. And as we dive into the text today, I want you to ask yourself some questions. And I'm going to give you the questions to ask yourselves to help you out, kind of coach you into this. And as I ask you these questions, I want you to be honest with yourself. Here it is. Number one, ask yourself this question as you examine yourself. Number one, what is your service rooted in? What is your service rooted in? Number two, what drives you to serve? What is it that drives you to serve? You got that? You got that? All right, good. And number three, what is the reason and why you serve? What's the reason? The reason why you serve. As you look at those three questions, I'm kind of going to give you like a little thing. Like, That's not fair. You kind of set us up for failure, and I didn't. I'm trying to break this down to build it up. Because the way I ask those questions is very interesting. What is your service rooted in? What drives you to serve? What is the reason why you serve? So I kind of set you up for failure right off the beginning, but it's not really for failure. It's to build you up. Because the answer behind those questions is not necessarily found in what am I rooted in. It's not. The answer behind those questions is not found in what is it that drives me to serve. Or number three, what is the reason in why I serve? That's the, that's the God honest truth. And I want you to write this down. It's, it's changed. We, we change the what. The true question should say, sound something like this. It's who am I rooted in? Who am I rooted in? And who is it that drives me? And who is the reason why I serve? Amen? See, our service, write this down, is in the who, not in the what. And we need to understand that if we're going to come before the presence of God and, and we're saying, I believe in God and I trust in God and I am, if you're here today and you, I know maybe not everyone does, but if you call yourself a child of God, then you should be serving God, Amen. You should be walking in His will. You should be doing the things that God has desired in you and passionately put in you so, so you could relate to this message. I know the message could be shaped for leaders, but it's for leaders, people that are led by God. So as I ask you these three questions, who is it that you are rooted in? Who drives you to serve? And 
who is the reason why you serve, we need to understand that it's not necessarily, and I'm going to break this down, about what it is, but it's about in who it is. And if who is not Jesus, if we are not rooted in Him, if we are not driven in Him, if He is not the reason in why we serve, then our service is wrong, and we will never be able to serve with passion, and we will never last as Christians walking in His will. Amen? You all can say amen because you're just turned off. Amen. My hands are numb. Who? Think about that. If it's not Jesus, then what are we doing? Today's message is going to be very loving, but yet very strong. What I mean by that is it's going to be spoken in love, but dipped in truth. And as it's dipped in truth, sometimes truth hurts. Amen? And what I want us to understand before we get into the text is if the truth of God does not correct us, discipline us, then what we're hearing all the time is not truth. If you're sitting under someone's teaching, and there's not moments under someone's teaching that it's not poking at you, then get away from sitting under that person's teaching, amen? Because <laughs> everyone should get poked every once in a while by the truth of God's word. Passion is very tricky and it can be very dangerous. So here we go, guys. What, or should I say, who is leading? Remember the definition? Who is leading these powerful, compelling feelings and emotions? Who is leading it? Because there is a wrong passion in this world, and you guys could relate to this wrong passion in this world. Many live, that are, many people live filled with this passion. What do I mean? They live according to what they feel and what they are emotional about. Know anyone like that? Keep your eyes up here. You know anyone like that? Yeah, they're just led by feelings. They're just led by emotions, and they are a wreck, or they end up becoming a wreck at some point. Like, should I come back? I had a feeling that your feeling wasn't from God. It wasn't what he was feeling. Ever wanted to tell that to someone? I had a feeling that what you were feeling wasn't what he was feeling for you. Man, so many times. And, you know, Paul attacks these kind of people with these false passions. I want to make sure you understand biblical texts and that you see that I'm not making stuff up. Paul attacks these kind of people. He attacks them many times throughout scriptures. Today I don't have all the time in the world to do this, but I will go to two different examples, one in Colossians and one in the book of Romans. The first one, if you're taking notes, is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to read from the ESV real quick. And look what he says in Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says to the church of Colossae, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Well, what is earthly in me, Paul? Well, you know he's going to answer that stuff, right? He's like, put to death, put it away, get rid of it. What? Sexual immorality, impurity. I love the word he uses next. Not just sexual immorality, not just impurity, but church, what else does Paul say? Passion. Put to death this passion. Look what he says next. Evil desire and covetousness, which is all idolatry. Get rid of all this stuff. Put it to death. And I read Colossians 3 verse 5 and I say, well, Apostle Paul, that doesn't sound too encouraging to, to start off this statement with, hey, kill some things. Because the moment that you hear put to death or kill, it sounds negative, doesn't it? And here's Paul, and he's writing to the church of Colossae, and as he writes to the church of Colossae, he tells them in chapter 3, verse 5, you need to put to death, you need to kill certain things in your life, and some of the things are these things. You're sexually immoral. 
You're impure in everything that you do. You're filled with passions, with these evil desires. You covet. You're filled with idolatry. Put it to death. Eugene Peterson translated it in a, in, in a, in a, in a, in a way where we look at it more like a commentary. But Eugene Peterson writes it this way in the message. He says, that means killing off everything that is connected with the way of death. He says this, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing what, I love this, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. How many of us could be like, that's me, that's, that's, that's me. And, and here is Paul telling the church that. Put away you f- doing whatever you feel whenever you feel like doing it. And grabbing whatever attracts, he says, your fancy. Whatever just seems right for the moment for you. And then Eugene Peterson describes passion this way. He says this part of the verse like this. Ready? This is a life that is shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. Wow. And because our lives are shaped by things and feelings instead of by God, look what Eugene Peterson says next as he, as he translates or as he comments on this scripture. He says this. It is because of this kind of thing, and I wrote this down in, in, quotation, in um, parentheses here. It's because of these kind of things, false passion, that God is about to explode his anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure that it's all gone for good. What's gone? He says bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. I love that. Just let it soak for a second. A life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God, and it's because of this false passion that God is about to explode in anger. I read, I'm like, wow. It's a powerful statement. Because what Paul is teaching us and what Paul is trying to show the church here is, is church, get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. Well, what are you talking about? The passion, a passion that is led by your flesh, by natural evil desires, get rid of those kind of passions because they're not going to get you anywhere good. Passions that are led by your flesh, passions that are led by natural evil desires, God will explode anger on those things. I was going sh- to show a girl, she had a slingshot and she was pulling back. Have you guys seen it on social media? She was pulling back. She had a watermelon, a mini watermelon. I don't know what they're called. I'm going to call them mini watermelons. And she's going back, and I guess the string was tight. And then she put all her body into it, and she's on the floor. And she goes all the way back. She sits on her butt, and she lets go of it. But something happens to the sling. It does something. goes, And the watermelon projects right back at her face. It's an amazing video. <laughs> it really is. It goes, Doosh. I don't know what happened to that girl. <laughs> Watermelon everywhere, and she just collapsed on the floor from her butt down to the ground. And, um, and I remember I'm going to share this message, and I was like, I should show that video. <laughs> you know, of us trying so hard, and 
us coming with our passion, we're fighting against God, and the slingshot is God, and no God, and I want my, my natural, and then out of nowhere, that thing just backfires on us, and God's explosion just poof, explodes on, but I didn't even do it, but at least I got to describe it to you. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's going to explode his wrath, his justice, over every profane and dirty and mean and bad, irritable, sexual, immoral, sinful thing. How many of you could say amen? That's who our God is. He's holy. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is addressing those who have gone. They used to live a life of so-called righteousness. They used to live a life of God. But now in Romans 1, Paul addresses them because they went now to live a life of unrighteousness. Listen to this. He gives themselves a... He says something to the church in Romans 1, very powerful, because they've gone to live in sinful living. And look what he says in verse 26. Write this down in your notes. Romans 1, 26. He says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. I read them like, what did you just say, Paul? Because he begins to list all this sin that man is living in in Romans 1. And they continue to live in unrighteousness. And because of this very reason, because they continue to live sinfully, for this reason, God gives them up to dishonorable passions. Did you understand that? God has actually given them up. Not that he gave up on people, but that he's given them up to it. Meaning, meaning really, you want to continue to live in unrighteousness. You want to continue to live in a sinful way. And, and what Paul is describing is, he just lets them go. He, he lets them Go ahead and be led by their very own powerful and compelling feelings and emotions of evil and of sin. And he gives them to what Paul says are dishonorable passions. It's a powerful verse because here's Paul and if he's speaking about these dishonorable passions, then that means that there are two different extremes. There are a dishonorable passions, but there also is an honorable passion. Amen? And there is no way that anyone can serve the Lord effectively. There's no way that we could serve Christ in our call effectively while giving ourselves over to dishonorable passions. There's no way. There's no way that you and I could please God in our walk in Him while our lives are dipped, where our lives are filled with dishonorable passions. You, if that's you, you've probably found yourself living in a very frustrating Christian walk. Because you're trying to serve God, and in you trying to serve God, you're also serving and fulfilling your evil intentions and fleshful passions. And God's like, you can't please me when you got one foot in your passions that are not of God, and when you got the other ones in my word and the things that are of me. You're going to love one more than the other. And God speaks that to his church. There's no way you could serve me full out. When you're filled with these evil things, when you're filled with impurity, but yet come on a Sunday and cry out to my name, it's not going to happen. Peterson says, God is about to explode in anger, and I could see that. How can I serve God with such a filthy passion? If it makes God so angry, and he's about to explode upon me, I can't serve him with filthy passions. There's absolutely no way. So what I want to do today is, as we get ready to get into the meat of this of text and the points that I'm going to make to you is, 
is that there is a Christian passion. There is an honorable, godly passion. Amen? David Jeremiah, I'm going to quote him, says this. In Scripture, we read of two kinds of men. The spiritual man that is controlled by the Holy Spirit and the carnal man who is ruled by his passions. That's a very important, very strong statement. And that's why I quoted him. Because when we are led and when we are serving with Christ or serving Christ, it means that now we are a people that are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And now as we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, our passions are now controlled by God, the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I'm not necessarily ruled by passions. Listen. I am now ruled by the Holy Spirit who puts his passions within me. So my passions are not really my passions. My passions are a gift given to me by the Holy Spirit who leads me in those passions. That is biblical. I'm not a man that is led by my passions. I've called to be a man that is led by what? Oh, man. What impassions him, what fills his heart. His passions now become our passion. It's not like, God, let my passions be your passions. We pray like that, don't we? No. The prayer is, God, let my passions be your passions. You, you don't need God to share. You don't need God to share your passions with him. You need you to share your passions with God. His passions need to be your passions. And that's what being led by the Holy Spirit is and becomes. Think about this. When I was living as a sinner, when I was living away from the Lord, and when you were living away from the Lord, we were filled with passions that were against the Lord. How many of you would say that's true? I, I, would, I was against God, and I lived with passions and desires that were totally against His Word. And I loved doing it. How many of you guys loved doing it? Everything about me was, eh, I'm not for God, so I'm against God. And all my passions were against his passions. I had passions away from God. Trust me. Because just as I'm passionate today, I was as passionate back then. Whether we were fighting someone or whether we were doing something Ill illegal, I was passionate in fighting someone or doing something illegal. So that passion now, because God has made me with that passion, has come from evil passions and now it's become godly passions. So when I used to speak with evil passions before people, now I come before him and I speak with godly passions before people. Why? Because I went from a life that rejected the Holy Spirit to a life now in Christ that is led by the Holy Spirit. That's who you are as a church. That's who we are. My passions were once against the Lord. If you could write this down, write it down. I know I speak fast sometimes in it's hard to follow, but listen to this. As we live righteous in Christ, notice this, it's always in Christ. As we live righteous in Christ, the Holy Spirit now fills us with a passion, watch this, that is shared with the Lord. Remember what I just said? I once, I once was filled with passions that were against the Lord. But when the Holy Spirit now fills me, my passions are shared with the Lord. Do you know what that means? That passions that were once against now are passions that are shared, shared 
that his passions can actually now become my passions? Do you know that, how that becomes truth and how, the, how, beco- how that becomes real and evident in our lives? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Because I am one with the Lord, his passions become one. Watch this. I can't have two different passions, one different than from the Lord, then because that which I'm called to be one with, I'm actually divided in passions with him. So because I'm one with him, I share one passion with him. Amen? And I share those passions with him. I want you just to grasp that for a moment. He now fills us with his feelings, with his emotions. So powerful, so strong, that we can't help but live out a passionate life for Christ before man. We can't help but to serve him now with passion. And that's exactly what he wants and longs and expects from us. To serve with passion. How many of you could say amen? Charles Wesley says this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's good. Passion in all places, in all aspects of your life. A healthy, honorable, Christian, godly passion. As we get ready to jump into Mark chapter 6, where I told you to put your finger or your marker at, to be very transparent with you as a pastor, I've been doing ministry since I was 20 years old. I'm 33 now. I'm going to be 34 soon. And I've grown very weary and tired at times. I've grown very faint-hearted at times. There have been times where I've just been on my knees, times where I've been confused, times where I've smiled and been filled with joy, and times where I've cried and have no idea how I'm going to continue the next day. We've gone through those moments, and I'm sure you could say me too, right? And I have grown weary and I have grown tired, but now here's where I'm going to come in truth and speak to you as a pastor and as a, as a father does and, and as someone who loves on people does. And I'm going to be very honest with you. Though I've grown weary and though I've grown tired, do you know that I've never taken a break? And I don't tend to take a break. I said that to the group last week and I really meant this with all my heart. Um, I'm passionate in my Lord, and I'm passionate in serving God, and for 14 years now I've been doing this, and I don't tend, and I don't expect, and I don't plan to quit, especially anytime soon. I look at these old preachers and these old pastors and these old evangelists and these old Christians that are still serving God, and they're still doing it in their 70s and their 80s, and I'm like, that's what I want. I don't want to just retire and go up to the mountain and look at the sun go up and sun go down without continuing to serve God. I want to, as long as I have a voice in health, I want to continue to do what God's called me to do. And I never and never tend to take a break. Never do I want to do that. All while I have grown weary. All while I have grown tired. You know, many come to the Lord, and I know many are in this church, and time passes, life's hardships arise. How many of you have experienced life's hardships? And many withstand them for a time. But do you know what happens to many others? They just break, and they can't go on anymore. I've heard so many times people tell me this, and please take this with love because I'm going to speak to you today, the truth in love. I've heard so many people look at me and say, I just need a break. And I'm like, a break? Like, yeah, I just need to take some time off. So time off? Yeah. And you know, I've always respected that, and I've always honored that. 
But I'm going to be very honest with you. I've never understood that. And I'm going to be extremely honest when I say this. I don't even think it's biblical. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where someone could take a break or when someone could just say, I need some time off. Nowhere in Scripture, and I'm going to show you that today. I, I never have. Maybe you have, and you will, and you will show me, and I'll say, amen, thank you for sharing that with me. But I've never seen where we take a break from serving God. I've never seen where we take time off from, God, I think today I'm just not going to walk in your will. I've just never seen that in my life ever. I don't get it. Because as I do that, how do you break how do you break from serving? How do you take a vacation from serving God? Every time someone has told me that, I've always respected it, always respected it, and I always will respect it. But to be honest with you, I've never understood it. I've never understood it. We've grown tired. We've grown weary. We've grown weak at times. But it doesn't mean that I quit because the Bible says that at my weakest, that's when God is his strongest. So he needs me at times I'm at weakest. What good am I at my strongest, right? So as we turn to Mark chapter 6, here's where I'm going to kind of start landing, and, and, and well, we're going to start soaring now, and eventually we'll land. And as we soar on Mark chapter 6, there's some interesting events that take place. Please follow along with me, because we're going to start off in verse 30. But before we get to verse 30, some very interesting things happen in Mark 6. If you've never read Mark 6, I'm going to ask you for a homework assignment to please read it tonight when you get home. In Mark 6, Jesus is rejected. Everyone say rejected. Yeah, that word stinks. Who likes to be rejected? Like when you walk into a room, you like people to reject you? I don't think so. That's a sorry feeling to have. And Jesus was rejected. But the worst part about Jesus being rejected is guess where he's rejected at in Mark chapter 6, in the beginning of Mark 6. Anyone, anyone want to take a break? He is rejected in a place called Nazareth. Guess what Nazareth is? His hometown. Sucks to be rejected at your hometown, in your own neighborhood. Like if, if you think we're... Think about this, where they're going to have a parade for you and where they're going to honor you, at least it's at home, right? No, he goes home and they, ah, get out. And they reject him in Nazareth. It gets so serious that in Mark 6 verse 5, look what it says. He couldn't do any miracles among them because of their unbelief. When I look at Mark 6 and I see this first section, I say, well, this is not so glamorous. This is not good at all. It's definitely not a high point of Jesus' ministry. He's being rejected. And the worst place is he's being rejected at home. Isn't that awesome? It's not. Just, I, I told this to the group. Just imagine this. Jesus is with his 12 disciples. And he's like, guys, come. Where are we going next? We're going to go to my hometown. Dope. Awesome. So cool. I'm going to show you the playground I used to play in when I was little. I'm going to show you the favorite ice cream shop. I want to show you the auntie, my uncle, where the house is. I want to show you the house where I lived at when I was small, right? And they're all like, all right, cool. And Jesus is telling these young men, come on, come on. I'm going to take you to my neighborhood. And as he were marching into his neighborhood, instead of people receiving him, the first thing that people are doing is they don't believe in him, and they reject his word, and they reject him as a person. And, and you could almost see, which I use this just to play with it a little bit, because I think, you know, obviously Jesus is sovereign. He knows all things. But he looks at everyone rejecting him, and he looks at his disciples and says, sorry, this didn't go as planned. It actually went as planned, but you get my point. It wouldn't go as planned if it was us, right? Come on. Come to my hood. I want to take you to my job. Can you imagine that? If I start talking to you about my job and how awesome the people are at my job and how amazing the scenery is at my job and how loving the people are and I say, come with me to my job and, and we go together to my job and I walk you in and everyone there says, get out of here, Rico. Why are you here today? You should call in sick. We hate you. Ugh, where do you bring people? And like, guys, I promise you, it's not always like this. Just imagine that for a moment. 
That's what Jesus was, that's what Jesus was going through. He was, he was being rejected. Not a high point of his life. Mark chapter 6. Not a high point. Not so glamorous. But then some time passes within the same chapter, and then he begins to sell his disciples. And if you've read Mark 6, he sends them in pairs. And he sends them two by two. And what are they to do? Watch this. They're to go and heal and preach and deliver people in all the towns that they were to go to. But they weren't to take anything. No clothes, no money, nothing. Just go. And as they went in faith, many were delivered from demons. Many were healed from sickness and diseases. Many were saved. And then I read that in Mark 6 and say, wow, thank God some good came out. Because just right now he was rejected. And now people are getting saved, delivered, and set free. Amen. I could deal with that. So one moment he's being rejected. The next moment he's being glorified. Pretty good. We balance up the scale a little bit, right? If you continue to read Mark chapter 6, watch what happens next. Mark chapter 6 is, is all over the place. Starts talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Don't have time to explain it all if you don't know that, but he's the cousin of Jesus. He gets arrested. Actually, he gets arrested for no reason. It gets so bad that they behead him and they kill him. All because you've heard me preach this message before. Herod was having a birthday party. And in one of Herod's birthday parties that he was having, some fine lady, some good-looking girl started to dance. And I'm going to be very honest, and we're pretty much all age-appropriate here. You kind of imagine the kind of dance it was, okay? And she started to dance, all sex in front of him. And, and out of nowhere, Herod got, felt a little proud, felt a little happy. And he said to this girl that looked good, he said, girl, anything you want, I'll give you, pretty much is what he told her. So she says, anything. He says, anything, girl. You're a mighty fly today. And when he tells her that, he says, okay, anything, then I'm going to ask you for one thing. Give me the head of John the Baptist who is in your jail. And he's like, Tah. John the Baptist, are you sure you don't want John the Barber? You meant John the Baptist or John the Barber? The Baptist. I have a barber, though. It says that Herod feared John. And here's this woman that all she wanted to do was kill him and serve his head on a plate because her people didn't like John and the message that he was sharing about the coming Messiah so it says that Herod feared John, but he kills him anyways because he couldn't go back on his word. Oh, yeah, he's a man of his word. It sounds more like a sissy. He couldn't stand up to a woman that was trying to ask to kill this man that he had respect for. That's a whole other message for a whole other day, but he kills him, beheads him. And I look at this and I say, my God, what a roller coaster Mark chapter 6 is, ain't it? Come on. Point number one, he's rejected. Point number two, he's being glorified. People are getting saved, delivered, set free. Demons are coming out. People are getting healed from all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. Good day in the, in, the, in the house of the Lord. Day number three, something else happens. His cousin gets murdered. Not just like, oh, he got shot by accident, a stray bullet. No, they decapitate him and they serve his head as a mockery on a platter to this woman. Just imagine the roller coaster in Jesus' heart. Imagine what the disciples felt. One moment we're being rejected, one moment we're being honored, the next moment our very good friend is being killed. Guys, when I read Mark chapter 6, does it not describe our lives perfectly? What do you mean? It describes highs of life and the what? The lows. You and I, according to Mark 6, that's our life. We have very, very high highs. Uh, I know, I just this word twice. but And it could be that in the same day, a couple hours later, we could enter very extreme lows. How many of you have lived life like that? I have. Thank you, all four of you that agree with me. But I have experienced highs and in the same day, from those highs, I went phoom, to an all-time low. I've been there. I've done that. I've seen this. I've lived through Mark 6. <clears throat> I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. We, I don't have time to share everything I want to share when we came back from the retreat. But that's our lives. 
And it describes life perfectly with highs and lows. But then we go to verse 30. Everyone's eyes are on verse 30. And this is what we're going to chew on for the next few minutes. The apostles gather to Jesus in verse 30. And they begin to tell Jesus everything that's happening. And as they begin to tell him everything that's happening, you could see that they even probably talk about John the Baptist. And in verse 31, he says to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place. And what does he tell them next? And what? Come on, man. I know there's something more of you that have your Bibles open. So he says, come aside by yourselves to this deserted place. And what? Come and rest for a little while. He saw his disciples were weary. God, our week started off horrible. We were rejected. But then we're coming back to tell you that, um, that people were saved and delivered and demons were, were listening to our words and they were coming out by the legions. And then Jesus says, I have to talk to you guys. Um, John died. Oh. And Jesus saw their hearts were wearied, were aching. He saw that their hearts were heavy because in just one chapter, they, they, they go through the highs of life and then they go through the lows of life. And then Jesus comes and like John the Baptist is also dead and they're like, God, what are you doing? Like, like do you have my life in your hand? Is it in order? Because I truly feel like, like I'm whacked out when I'm serving you. Anyone ever felt like that when you serve God? My God, I'm faithful in serving God. But my God, why do I go through highs and lows all the time? It's like the person, he loves me, she loves me not. And we feel like, depending on the day and the roles, it's always a different topic, a different thing. And we go through these highs and we go through these lows and we get tired and we get weary and we start to hurt and we start to break. We get confused. We start to question. And Jesus sees the hearts of the disciples and he says, shh, come over here for a little while and rest. Notice the word rest there. Let's keep reading. There were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. Ever been like that in life? You didn't have time to eat. You're just going, you're going, you're serving God, you're doing this, you're a parent, you're a mother, you're a father, you're, you're this, and you're running around, and you're a friend, and you got to visit the sick person that's in your family, that's in the hospital, and then you got to go, and, and then you got to help the family member that's doing this, and then you got to come back home, and then you forgot to cook, and you got to cook, and you got to wash the dishes, and then you got to do a lot, and your life feels like, oh my God, Sunday's here again. I wonder how many of you live a life like that. <laughs> I need rest. I need rest. I. And people were coming and going and they didn't have time to eat. Verse 32 says, so they departed. They left to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Look at verse 33. But the multitude saw them leaving, departing, and many knew him. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and they came together to him. Look at 34. And when Jesus came out, he saw a great multitude. And I highlighted this in my notes. And he was moved with what? He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. You know what that means? They were being led without having a leader. They were running like wild sheep somewhere without anyone giving them the vision to where to go or the guidance. And Jesus saw that and he was broken. He's like, these guys, these people long to be led but they have no one to lead them. Are you guys watching that? Leading with passion. We're going to get there. And he's moved with compassion. So he began to, because there were sheep having no shepherd, he began to teach them many things. Look at 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples come to Jesus, come to him, and they said what? Lord, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is what? 
It's getting late, God. Look what he says next. Look what they say next. Send them. Guys, guys, come here. The disciples are tired. They're weary. They're aching. Lord, you told us to come here. And those fools followed us. Now you send them back home. Because you said, over here we're going to rest. And you're over there talking to them and loving them. What about us? Come talk to us. Come love us. Because we're the ones that are tired and are weary. You told us to come and rest over here for a while. But since we've been here resting, we haven't stopped working. Come on, man. It's not fair. You're playing with my emotions. Are we resting or are we working? My greatest rests are actually in my workings. But let's not even get into that yet. Send them away. Look what, he, look what they say next. That they will go into the surrounding country, into the villages that surround us. And look, look at this. That they would buy for themselves bread. Because here, where we're at, we have nothing for them to eat. You see the heart of the disciples? Guys, can everyone go to verse 37? Everyone, 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 everyone. So Jesus, after hearing this complaint, hearing how burdened his disciples are, come on, come on, come on. What does he tell them? Hey, you're done? You're done talking? Now go feed them. Did you just... Did you not just hear us? We're tired. We're resting. You're tired? Now go feed them. Does that not make sense to you? Because how can he tell them to rest? How can he tell them to come over here and rest? And in the midst of them saying, but we're not resting. He's like, oh, okay. Now do me a favor and go feed them. I need someone to feed them. I read this and it's, it's eye-opening because... It goes on and, and they say to him, where are we going to go to buy bread? We don't even have enough money, 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something. It's not even enough for them, not even enough for us. But yet you want us to buy bread for them? How? It's impossible. I love that, right? I love how people come to God with impossible, impossible things. And Jesus looks at them and says, all right, well, how many loaves do we have? Another gospel explains it. One of the disciples walks in and says, actually, I saw a kid. He has five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, Bring him over here. So he asked, how many do we have? How many does the kid have? And they said, well, we found five breads and two fish. Look at verse 39 with me. So he commanded everyone to sit down in groups on the what? On the green grass. Sit down. Just sit down. Did you notice anything here? Here's my message for today. Here it is. It's been a roller coaster of a time for Jesus and his disciples. He's been rejected, then, he's been, then they've been used mightily, and they've been accepted everywhere they went. They went from rejection to acceptance. And then bad news of John's being executed hits their ear. And that was very hard for Jesus. Let me tell you that, why that was very hard, because it was his cousin. And not only was it hard for Jesus, but it was also very hard for his disciples. Do you want to know why it was hard for the disciples? Did you guys forget? Most of them knew John well. As a matter of fact, some were very close, because at one point they were John the Baptist's disciples. So when John the Baptist dies, it crushes their heart because they know John personally. For years, they walked with him and did ministry with him. He was their old leader, their old pastor, their old friend, and now he's dead just like that. Listen, 
the disciples and Jesus himself experienced highs and then some very extreme lows as well. All in one chapter. And it was going to be like that for the rest of their lives, to be honest with you. And Jesus knew this and he felt the pressure and he felt the pain of life and the pressure and the pain of ministry. And even for themselves, that he looks at them and he says, come over here, come to the side, come by yourselves to this deserted place and rest for a while. Let's just rest. Everyone say rest. And then as they began to rest, many come. And they come to see more of them and see more of Jesus and they want to receive more. And we might look at that passage And we might say, my God, can you just have some pity and let them take a break? Let them have some time off. Right? Wouldn't you say that? And Jesus instead sees a great multitude and he's moved with compassion for them because they didn't have anyone to lead them. I'm going to say something that I hope it it really pokes at your heart. This is the breaking point. This is where we decide to lead those who need to be led to serve those who need to be served or we will think solely on ourselves and serve ourselves right here right there and instead he tells them give them something to eat right there there it is we might look at this passage and say this if we were disciples jesus it's time to take a break it's time to take some time off But the truth was, according to Mark 6, it wasn't time to take a break. It wasn't time to take time off. We read it wrong. They didn't take time off, and never would they take time off from serving. Never. They never would stop. All they were doing and all that God told them to do was to rest. Totally different. When Jesus says, come over here and rest for a little while, he wasn't telling them, come and take a break. Because to take a break and to rest are two different things. To rest and to take some time off are two different things. You know, we've been talking in the church how we need to get better and this will get better once our lives in Christ get better. And when we read the rest of the story, it's interesting. They have no money to buy themselves food or thousands of people food. The Bible says 5,000. We believe it could be up to 10 to 20,000. And all they find is five loaves of bread, two fish, and it's not enough, not even for them. And he tells them to make everyone sit down and start handing it out. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Can you imagine the scenery? Can you imagine the disciples? Here they are, and as the story goes on, their situation is a mess. They're tired, they're weary, they're broken. The situation is crazy. Think about how drained they must have felt, how impossible the scenario that is surrounding them looks. You want us with five loaves of bread and two fish. You want us how tired we are to serve thousands of people. You must be kidding me, Jesus. We know the rest of the story, right? They walk into the situation with a little bit, but I love how they all walk away from the event. And each one that walks in with just a little bit of crumbs walks away with baskets overflowing with food. And I love that scripture shows us that. I love that they walk away from this event with overflowing baskets when they hardly had any food in their plate to start with. How many does that sound like today? You come before the presence of God today. Some of you haven't even come in yet to the presence of God. You just came to church. And as you come before the presence of God, all you have is that plate with just some crumbs. 
It's, it's just some crumbs and a little bit of pieces, some pieces of fish. And you say, God, this is not even enough. What are you going to do with this? And God looks at you and says, what doesn't seem enough to you is just enough for me because I'm able to grab what looks impossible. And in me, I make all these things possible. And when they walk in with little, they walk out with much. And that's our lives. Our lives before God and what we could offer is little. But when we're done doing the will of God, what we walk out with is much because the glory, because the honor, because the miracle, because of all the faithfulness, all belongs to God. And he said, just keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Same thing, disciples, keep handing out, keep handing out, keep handing out. On the seventh day, the wall came crumbling down. My God, on the last person, the Bible says every person ate and was filled and they ate as much as they wanted. You see, you keep handing it out. Don't worry whether you have enough or not. You just worry and being obedient to what he's called you to. Oh, but I'm tired, but I'm weary, but I'm broken. People are dying. People are hurting. I am just, Jesus, I need a break. And Jesus is like, what? Go feed them. But this is all I have. That's just the much as I need. Just continue to feed them. And they have all these emotions. Because with all that they have, there's too many people. It's impossible. I want you to just catch this. But I'm here, Lord, and I'm supposed to rest with you. And God looks at them and says, right, now go feed them. But we don't have enough. Right, you haven't gotten the revelation yet. Just go. And they're broken and they're hurt and they're complaining. You know very well that Peter kicks John. What's wrong with Jesus, man? You know that happened. You know that happened, that they were complaining on the way to the crowd. You know they had an attitude. I've seen it because I'm pastor of a church, and I've seen when we've asked people to do things. Who tells me to do this? Just do it. Who cares? It's because it's, it's not about the disciples, and it's not about, what they're, what, about anything. It's all for the person and, and, and who you do it for. And, and their what looked impossible. Their what was thousands of people. Their what was a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. They're what seemed to be not normal. They're what would never make sense to our human eyes. But what happens is when you connect to the who, the who makes whatever is what around you, he makes it glorious. And I'm telling you today, and I want you to know today this thing, that you taking a break or you taking time off has nothing to do with resting. Because Jesus tells the disciples this, ready? Go take a break and rest, right? Not break, but go rest. The very next sentence he tells them what? Go for what? Go, t- go get some what? No, go get some what? Rest. And then he tells them the next sentence. Go what? Go take some. Go what? Go what? Come on, louder. Go what? Go what? And go what? Rest, but feed them. Rest, but feed them. And when we look at that, we say that doesn't make sense. Because we're called to rest, but now you're telling us to serve. And Jesus says, right. Because you sitting there. And you just being there, that's not what rest is. I've never called you to take a break or a vacation from serving me. You see, you continue to serve the people that need to be served, even when you don't feel like it and you're heavy and you're burdened, even when you're aching. Watch this. Because your rest is not found in taking a break and your rest is not found in taking time off. Your rest is found in the person you do it in. And as you serve people in the glory of Christ Jesus, I give you rest in when you serve. The reason why people get burned out as they serve is because they're not resting in the who. Instead, they're trying to rest in the what. 
I want to be seen and I want to be heard and I want the flock to come and honor me. And God says, really? You're doing it for the what? Because the what won't always be there. But the who? He remains faithful. And if you rest in him, you'll never take a break from serving again. I can't just get up and quit and take a break from serving God. Because my service is not in the what's in front of me. My service is in the who that's inside of me. And if the who is Jesus and I find rest in Christ, I can't stop but serving him even at my weakest, even with just a little plate. I'm telling you today, you can't take a break. You can't take time off, but you can find rest and you could continue to keep serving because your rest is not found in sleeping and reading a book and going to the woods. Those are good things. Go do that with your family. Your rest is found in Jesus. That's what he was teaching the disciples. He was teaching the disciples, go get rest, but go feed them. But you told us to get rest, right, but go feed them. What they didn't catch was this, that their rest was not in sitting down and singing songs and looking at the sunset. Their rest was in Jesus Christ who gives them strength to continue to do what they're called to do. Guys, that's scripture. That's who Christ is. When you serve with passion, when it is in Christ the reason you serve, you will never need a break again. Their rest was Christ. He was with them. So if their rest was present, then they were able to continue to serve with passion like they were accustomed to. There was no excuses, and I believe Christ wanted them to teach them this. I highlighted this in my notes. Because when you find rest in the one in who you serve, you will serve with passion, and there will never be a day that you're serving. Oh, man. Your serving will never be a bother, a pain, or a burden that you need to take time off. <clears throat> you will serve with passion no matter what has happened, is happening, or will happen. Well, how do you do it, man? How do you continue to do it? Because it doesn't matter what my current situation looks like. You only have five loaves and two fish. You have thousands of people. I know. How are you going to do it? You don't understand this stuff. It doesn't matter what the current situation looks like. That's just the what. But you see, I'm going to walk into this what with a who. How do you do it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my current position looks like. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I rest. And it's in who I rest in. And you rest in that who... And the one you have passion in and serving, it switches on you. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. It becomes a privilege and not a burden. An honor and not a headache. A blessing and not a curse. I could preach in front of two or I could preach in front of 2,000. Let me tell you why. Because it's not about the crowd. It's about the person that I preach in. The crowd will not affect me. What's on my plate will not affect me. Because the one that has affected me is the who. And that's why we do what we do here at New Life. It's for the who. It's for the who. How many of you ministry or serving God or sit, living one more day for Christ is a pain for you? It's a burden for you. It's a bother. You need like time off from Jesus. Really? I'm going to tell you something. You haven't connected to Jesus in a while. And I'm going to be very loving when I say this. Your answer for strength is not taking time off God and even time off the church. Your answer is to find Christ in the quiet place 
and mend the relationship and find rest in him. People die out and they break because they stop seeking Christ in the quiet place. So you know what we do? I wrote this down and I'm going to look down as I say this. So we don't tell our pastors we need a break. We tell our Christ we need his rest. And we keep serving with passion. We serve the body. We serve the sinner. We serve all people and all of our service is a service to the Lord. Remember Paul? Paul, Paul, Paul. Or Saul. Why are you persecuting me? He's like, who is this? Is that you, Lord? Yes. When am I, have I ever persecuted? Every time you do this to one of them, you do it unto what? You do it to me. John Maxwell says a great leader's courage to fulfill his vision comes from passion, not position. <sighs> Guys, here it is. Who cares of the position that you're in? Who cares about the impossible scenario? Who cares about how draining life looks or ministry looks at times? The position I'm in doesn't determine whether I will continue to serve passionately. What matters is and what decides if I will serve with passion another day and another day and another day, watch this, is my connection to the Christ who is my rest in the midst of chaos. My passion is in him, not in the things that are positioned around me. Because the moment that I look at this stuff to strengthen me is the moment that I burn out, die out, throw in the towel, and I'll never be able to do this again. Because, see, the reason why we do this stuff, it's not for the production of this stuff. Our first goal, our first objective is for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all things, it's done in glory for Christ. Because the crowds just like they were facing in Mark 6, and just like we might have crowds in our lives, listen to this. They might be here today, but they might be gone tomorrow. Can I tell you something? Then where's your passion? I wonder if next Sunday I come, and I only have two little people here, I wonder if I'll still preach with the same passion. And the Lord looks at me and says, Rigo, where's your passion now? And then he rebukes me and says, so did you do it for them, or did you do it for me? See, the crowds that are here might, not, might be gone tomorrow. Where's your passion the people may speak well of you today, but tomorrow they might have something else to say. Then where's your passion? I've been there. Do you know the same crowd that came to Jesus for food? Do you know a year later who that crowd is? It is the same crowd that is standing before him and saying what? Crucify him. Crucify. Really? I fed you a year ago. I've been there. I've seen that. I've been there myself where, Rigo, I love you. And then I have to look through the curse of media and the curse of gossip of how much they hate you now. And I'm like, what went wrong? What did I do to them? It happens in our lives. People hate you one day and then they'll love you. They love you one day and they'll hate you the next. Where's your passion then? I've had people love me yesterday and today they hate me. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. But it's okay because I do it for something greater. And you do it for something greater. Think about the bread and the fish that is multiplying today. Tomorrow, I might be broke. Where's your passion then? When we serve, we don't get passionate about the position. Church, listen. Because the crowds are not promised, the miracle is not promised, the walls crumbling down, maybe that's not even promised. See, my passion is not in the crowd and the blessing. Share it with another. I lose my passion and I will get burned out and I will need to take a break. And Christ Jesus is the one that sustains me. He's the one that gives us rest. Nothing else sustains You will experience a decline and you will feel like it's becoming a burden and you just can't take it. They all walk away filled with baskets. Baskets full of food. 
Only I am the one who fills you when you are at your weakest. Can I be honest with you? What would the, what would the crowd have done? Nothing. Nothing. And he was teaching us and he's teaching the disciples something. We don't lose passion in serving disciples, he's telling them. And he's telling them, in momentum, we gain hope, we gain courage, we gain faith. And it goes up in the craziest time of our serving. We don't vacation from our call to serve. We don't the one in whom we rest in. Only in Jesus Christ will our passion be fueled. So church, have you answered this question honestly? Three questions. Serve. Who is the reason why you serve? And I hope you've placed it on who. Simple. Everything that we do in life, we do it as to the Lord and pastoring here for seven years and for 14 years in total. Lose passion because of what happens here once a week for two hours. Complain about this church. That happens to all of us. I complain about other churches, then I come over here. It happens to all of us. Or we're serving where it might be and we lose passion. But the truth is, I can't lose passion or you might lose passion because of what happens back home in your room. And he's playing the sax today. You lost passion because of that? You lost church is too cold? That pastor's too young? You lost passion because else needs to be used. You do it once a week for an hour and a half. You lost passion because of that? You don't lose passion because of your ministry, because of your pastors, the rest of the week in your room with God. Matthew 6, 6, pray to you, the Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret, who sees in the street, reward you openly before all. It says when you go and pray, when you go and fast, and when you go and give, you do it in the secret, then I will reward you openly. Guys, my path is what happens on my heart the rest of the week with my time with God. Connect to your rest. Your rest is Jesus. Your rest is not well. And hopefully one day God will touch my heart. You can't take But you want me to continue to serve? I don't want you to do anything. It's God. Only when you have found rest in the one who is. I did this because it's quicker than open Bible, but listen. Your faith about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all these other prophets. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the end. The whole armies into flight. Wow. The women received their love. That didn't receive what they received. Some were powerful and victorious, right? <laughs> Refusing to turn from God in order to die on, on, on the heavenly kingdom. And they were made fun at. Some were sawed and sold in half, sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword, pressed, and they were mistreated. But look what he says next. They were too good for this. Give them a Bentley. I couldn't give them a Mercedes. They were better than the Bentley. They were better than the mansions. What? No, no, I'll take the mansion. They wandered over deserts and mountains and hiding of their what? I found out that on their knees, 21 of them with their torturers behind them, 21 of them were doing this. And it was confirmed that they were crying out and praying and worshiping their God in the midst of torture. 
Lou was telling me that they did a special on some of their families. And their families began to speak of these 21 Christians, how they were devoted to Christ and to his word. And that they loved Jesus. And God says they're too good for this world. And he let them die such a death. When I saw that, I said, oh my God, I can't take looking at this again. I can't take looking at that. I can't one more day I can't do this again. But then something in my heart says, we have that passion. Will you serve him even to that point? Will your, will your lips still confess the one in who in the midst of the what is happening around you? When everything around them, their what was disastrous, on their knees with the sword on their neck, they found peace and rest in the who. How do I explain lives of Abraham, who left everything he knew to go to a place he knew not of? Noah built a large boat under God's instruction while awaiting something that had never happened before. Sounds rare. How do I explain this? Jacob, Rahab, the prostitute, Moses, Gideon, Esther. I could go down the list. Individuals who were deeply challenged. Jacob, Job. People like you and I, no matter what position, they rose up, they served with passion. Church, serving the Lord can be a burden sometimes in life. But it's important to serve with passion and finding our rest in Christ. And I'm going to end with a quote from Charles Wesley. He says, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready to pray. Lord, let us burn with passion. Let us catch fire. Let us realize that it's not in the what. It's not about what my church wants, what my brother needs, what my... Lord, it's in the who. And sometimes, Lord, when I live just for others or I live just to please others or I live just for the words of others, oh, man, Lord, I, I get burdened and I get weary and I get tired and I feel like giving up. But Lord, when I find my rest in who? When I find my rest in Christ, it doesn't matter what's around me or what's before me because I have found rest in the one who sustains me. And I pray that everyone in this room could answer the way we started off. It's easy to serve the Lord when your passion for Him is at its strongest. The problem for some of us is that passion only last for a moment so how do you persevere in serving with passion how do you serve church with passion when you are at your strongest how about when you are at your weakest I hope today you found your answer and you can say pastor it's because I find rest today in Jesus so today if that's you and you know you need to come to the Lord and find rest right there where you're at. Can you just stretch your hands and say, Lord, I, I find rest in you. Can you just say that to him? And Lord, as our hands are raised and our hearts are opened, let us not look on the plate and what we have to offer because we know it's little. Let us not look at the crowd and how impossible the scenario is because we know it's too much.
Let us not lose hope and grow weary and feel like we need to take time off from serving you because we know that that doesn't make sense. As our hands are lifted up and our hearts are open, let everyone that's here today find rest in Jesus. And in that rest, let us serve you more effectively with a passion that is a godly and honorable passion that will please you the rest of our lives. Lord, I thank you for this morning and this day today at New Life. And I pray that if there was anyone here that was weary, if there was anyone here that was burdened, anyone here that was about to give up, that today you looked at them, today you spoke to them, and you said, son, daughter, you don't give up. You don't take a vacation. You don't break off. All you got to do is find rest in me. And Lord, I pray that you would change their lives from this day forward forever. Because they have found their rest in the who. And they've taken their eyes off the what. So Lord, we give you our lives. We praise you this morning. Fill us with your rest. I'll give you a minute to speak to your God before we close off in prayer. Let my greatest days be days that are at home, days that I'm in a quiet place, days that I'm in prayer. Let us not bicker and let us not complain and let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not lose hope. Let us not give up. Let us find rest. And in that rest that we would serve passionately. How do you continue to do what you do? Because I find the rest in the one who is my rest. Give me a your heart I find rest in you Jesus I love you Jesus you are my rest you are the passion that is deep within me and rip them away from me right now and let my passions be yours Lord we love you today we thank you for our lives without a shepherd thank you for becoming my shepherd me all the days of my life that I may never leave you in the quiet place this is just stuff I do publicly what matters is Lord keep me in what I do in the things privately thank you and let us have an amazing if it's a busy day an amazing busy but restful day in the one who is 
Let us find rest in our busyness. Rest in the craziness of ministry. Rest in the craziness of serving you. Rest in the craziness of life. Let us find rest in Jesus. So we love you today. We thank you today. Be glorified in us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. And together we say, Amen. Can you give God some praise?